they're actually, they're opportunities. They're not threats. There are opportunities to see like, hey, this is what my body is. This is the sleep it needs. This is the timing that it needs. So you're always tuning into what's inside and what's outside. And you're trying to harmonize the two. Welcome to The Better Podcast, where we attempt to rewrite the future of our health. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Farrow, the founder and CEO of Better Health. With me today is my news anchor and television personality, mom, and she's just a self-described hypochondriac, which makes our interactions <laughs> of the, off of this podcast very fun. Uh, this is Erin O'Hearn. Erin O'Hearn, how are things up there in Philly uh, these days? Things in Philly are great. I feel like I am not as um, neurotic as I usually am, so I'm making progress. So on a scale of one to 10, that's what, a nine? What is it we're talking about? Well, I would say a 9.7, so we're, we're inching closely. Got it. Well, things are going great here in North Carolina. I want to get to our amazing guest and really thank her for her time, Nidia Pandia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Farrow, and lovely to have you here as well, Erin. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. I've heard wonderful things about you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, interesting, right before this podcast, I was watching you do a live on your Instagram. Over 100,000 followers. I see your posts are amazing. You know, just a lot of great content, a lot of great information. So just right off the bat, where can people find you? If they're listening to this episode again, like, man, I, I need to, so where can they find you? Uh, you know, my Instagram is a place that I'm most active in terms of if you want a daily interaction. But you can also visit my website, which is nithi at nithipandya.com. I have plenty of courses. I work with people in person. I write for uh, various publications. But I'd say start at my gram, move to my website, and then send me an email. I just learned something. I need to start calling in my gram. I didn't know that. That's how old I am. <laughs> oh, I, come on. I didn't you know that. So I didn't know that. Okay, so she's. But wait, can I can I ask one thing really quickly? Sure. So I was also listening to your Instagram live or your gram live, and I was trying to log on and fix my microphone because I'm technologically inept. But I did hear something about shoes, which caught my interest. Were you talking about shoes, or did I misunderstand you? I wasn't talking about shoes. I was actually teaching in the Himalayas last like ten days ago. And I was just narrating a funny story of how my shoes didn't support me and how I fell into the Ganges. And it was a little, it was a little awkward moment, but I was just <laughs> sharing that story. Okay. Well, no, that's okay. Because any story that revolves around shoes, I'd like to hear. So even if it felt awkward to you, if maybe we could retell it later, because I love <laughs> sure, it. <laughs> sure. Okay. So you are an Ayurvedic practitioner. Uh, would you describe to our audience what Ayurvedic medicine is all about? Right. Or do they even call it Ayurvedic medicine? I love that you kind of, you know, clarified that, right? So I'm going to give you like a broad description and I'm going to give you a more practical description. So in a broad sense, Ayurveda is the science of life. That's what it literally translates into, which means it says that we are alive. We are living beings. We have patterns. We have rhythms. We have tendencies. And then there's a universe that we are kind of placed into, you know, this planet and the sun. And that has its own rhythms and tendencies and patterns. And that there is an interaction between the two. And that interaction happens through food, through sleep, through lifestyle, through other beings. How do I optimize that interaction for health, wellness, and then even healing? So that is the simplest way that I can describe Ayurveda. I do say that the term was coined in India. It does not mean it's Indian. 
you know, if gravity was discovered in a certain place of the world, I mean, we, we don't even bother to see where it was discovered, right? Because it is a universal principle. It's just laws of this nature applied to the human body for a better life. So the scope of Ayurveda expands beyond just treatment, right? So a lot of people get into Ayurveda because they find these cool ingredients like turmeric and ashwagandha. They say, oh my God, this comes from Ayurveda. And it does. I mean, Ayurveda understands things, the nature of things on this planet so deeply that it can tell us a thing or two about these substances. But similarly, it can tell you a lot about the food that you eat and how it interacts with your body. It can tell you a lot about the social interactions you have or the seasons or, you know, how to take care of your skin, hair and health. So I'd say everything from diet to lifestyle to medicine to self-care to social, it covers it all. In the West, we are just beginning to scratch the surface of this vast understanding of life called Ayurveda. I love it. Amazing. First of all, I already have a crush. Aaron, do you feel a crush coming on? I'm, I'm already <laughs> crushing very hard. Well, I guess I feel a little jealous, but yeah. <laughs> I do. And actually, it's funny that you said that because as you were explaining that, I was trying to absorb what you were saying and make sense of it. And also, automatically, my mind goes to okay, the healing part of it that you said, and how if all of these things are connected, and I'm sure you're going to explain this, but then how as individuals do we improve our function if so much of how we function is intertwined with things that we can't necessarily control? So you're sitting in a room. I'm just going to start at this basic, right? I, I often say Ayurveda is not learning, it's remembering. It's remembering what we already know. Just a baby is born in the world knowing that it needs to eat from its mother's breast, never been trained, never used its mouth before, but knows that. It's a remembering. It's, an, it's the understanding of what you already know. Similarly, let's say you're sitting in a room and it's really hot. What is the first thing that you would do? Take your shirt off. Okay. What else can you do? Fan yourself. Change the first thermostat. Leave the room. Uh, all of those things. Absolutely. And like, you know, all of those things. And what, what I can say, you just practiced Ayurveda, is you understood an experience that your individual body was having, your unique body was having. And that was based upon the environment around you. You either change the environment when you can, or you leave the environment when you can't. And so while everything you need is in the world outside, so while, yes, there are seasons and there are rhythms of the nature, they're actually, they're opportunities. They're not threats. They're opportunities to see like, hey, this is what my body is. This is the sleep it needs. This is the timing that it needs. So you're always tuning into what's inside and what's outside. And you're trying to harmonize the two. And it is easier, it is simpler and more intuitive as well as scientific than most people think. So going back to your background, yeah, uh, you know, I read through this and this is something that's been in your family for a long time, but you didn't come out of school, you know, saying this is what you wanted to do. What was the moment that you got reconnected with what was essentially your family roots? So, you know, I, and I just said this in my live earlier this morning. I remember I must have been four or five years old and I asked my, I grew up in a family of a joint family, 14 people under one roof. And I remember I was five years old and I asked my dad and I said, dad, when are you going to get old? What are you going to start growing and decaying, right? I was very sensitive. And he said, don't worry about it. It's 25 years. But for those 25 years, I sat on the edge of my seat. And I sat on the edge of my seat noticing what happens to bodies. 
noticing how people respond to stimulus outside, what they, when they're told emotionally, physically, diet, food. Fortunately for me, this is the language we use in our house. So while, right? But at the same time, you grow up in a big space. There's a lot of crowd. Like literally my house was a crowded marketplace. And I always heard, oh, Nidhi, you're creative. You're going to be a great marketer. You're going to be a great marketer. So part of my life was all psychology and health and wellness. That was what was happening inside my head. I said, what makes people sick? What makes people tick? But I took it too casually. And I went and I did my marketing and all of that, right? But of course, I never felt aligned with any of this. The moment happened for me really when I moved to West and I started working for a pharmaceutical company marketing for them right now. But my mind is constantly preoccupied with what keeps people well. And I'm sitting in that boardroom. It was one of those unfortunate situations where we're talking about expanding sales of a drug, not from the condition because the patent is expiring. They say, how can we sell this more? So we're not bringing wellness. We're talking about either marketing this to people without the conditions or blah, blah, blah. Like, I think at some point I zoned out of the conversation because I started feeling sick. And I said, if, it, if I'm going to live in this world and at some point bring children into this world and do all of this, I can't have this. I think it was that moment and I don't think it was ever looking back. Like I was certain 100%, even though I was told by several people that you're crazy to think that Westerners will ever understand Ayurveda. Honestly, at that point, I said, it does not matter. Even like, as long as I understand it, as long as I bring it to people around me and my family, that's enough. But like, look, look where the world is. But that really was, was the moment for me. You did a beautiful job explaining what it is. So as far as your role in guiding other people, can you sort of take us through that process? Like if I were to come to you and say, I'm interested in sort of you taking me through this journey and looking for an alternative way of taking care of myself. And I use that word alternative. It's overused. And, and I'm not saying that maybe this should be our, our way of life, period. It shouldn't be a, an alternative way. But at this point, Westerners are still very much ingrained in you get sick, you get medicine. And it's sort of a reactive as opposed to a proactive approach. So if I were to come to you today, tell me what that would look like based on the fact that I'm almost 46 and three kids. Shut up. No. Um, whatever. And I can't even reverse the numbers this year. Jesus. <laughs> it would be worse. And that, you know, I have a fairly high stress life because of how busy my family life is and trying to incorporate the career and type A personality and talk too much, as you might already have figured out. Take me through that process. Okay, so I'll tell you, my first step is actually beyond, even before I get into the work, I get into the mindset shift. We're used to looking after our health through prescriptions and information. When I say information, it's information that sits in the front of your brain that you don't really take deeply or understand. Hey, take, a, take CoQ10 for this or take a melatonin supplement for this, etc. right? Knowledge is something that you've been able to process deeply. So I will actually ask you to stop doing a lot, like to start doing less in your life. So the literal way that I work with people is I take a step back. And we say, let's actually shift some paradigms in our own mind. And we need to do less and we can get more impact out of it. But it has to be deep knowledge-based things that we imbibe in our life. So I work with people over six months. And the first work is mindset shift, is to say this combustion that's happening in our nervous system constantly, right? From the intake of information, from action, 
I kind of lower that combustion. That's the first thing. You take a step back, bring some self-awareness. Over this period of six months, we actually work to identify what has gone off in the body. How is it showing up as symptoms? I call it the landscape of the body. You know, Ayurveda has this understanding of doshas, and we can get into that later, but I kind of have changed the jargon on it. If your body was like a piece of land, a country, what would the climate be? Would it be hot and dry? Would it be a hot and inflamed, uh, like a tropical climate? We can talk more about the symptoms that each one of them present. A tornado or tornado, I'll fast forward. For her, it would be a tornado. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what came to my mind. Okay, yeah, and like tornado with heat or tornado which brings cold, right? So tornado is hot and both. dry. It's both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like in India, they say there's a loo, like there's a summer wind that kind of blows like a tornado, but it's so hot. And then how does it manifest as symptoms? And then we say, what do you need in terms of diet, lifestyle? exercise, breath work, whatever it takes, reading books, music, whatever you're willing to do, whatever is feasible for you. So I'll meet you where you're at. And I say, what is it that is possible for you from all these various options to bring you back into balance and use that as a system and keep that sustainable over a period of six months? And while we are doing this, I guide people through an Ayurveda immersion. And which they have a course online that I have. I use the word course for the lack of a better word, but they kind of go through learning the principles of the universe as a first language. Not academic, not prescriptive. But when I say first languages, unless you can relate it to an experience you've already had in your life, that you can very well, like that it's hot, I need to take my jacket off. I can relate to this experience. I say do not take any, anything else is prescriptive. Right. So it's a very intuitive, loving approach to understand the landscape of your body, which some people may say doshas, but which can be more confusing and to bring you back into balance and keep that as a sustainable way. We use diet, lifestyle, herbs, exercise, breath work, music, books, whatever it takes to make that happen. And it all starts with the mindset shift. I love it. It makes complete sense. At better we say, you know, we're trying to get you in a state of ease, you know, remove the discs without ease from ease. We approach you with food because we know they'll get a very quick, tangible result. But I think where we're leaving them flat, we're changing their mindset in a way where we're talking about chemicals and things, how their environment is affecting them and how they might, like you said, either remove it, change it, or get out of the way. But I think where we're letting them down and where I can't wait to introduce them to your work is, as you just meant, changing the landscape and the paradigm and how they're approaching it. Because a lot of times I'm filling their frontal part with the information, but not use the knowledge of the true universe. Uh, and how they interact. So it's beautifully said, and I, you know, it's kind of just triggered a couple of aha moments for me. I know you said it's six months with Aaron. Would you be willing to do six years, maybe? As a- <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> no, actually. So here's what I took out of it, and I'm sorry for jumping around, but I feel like a lot of what you're saying is really profound, and so it's going to trigger things for Dr. Farrow in one way, and then for me in another. But and some of these things I'm thinking about myself, but other things you say, I'm thinking about other people in my life or just the population in general. And one of the points that you just made was, I want to be able to meet you where you are and we're going to come to terms with what you're ready to do. Essentially, I know I didn't say it as eloquently as you did, but when you were talking about different strategies, reading a book, listening to music, exercising, I think one of the biggest obstacles that we have as a society and certainly individually 
is we see other people do one thing, whether it's a celebrity or a health guru. All of a sudden, I have to do all of these things at once in order to achieve that optimal health. And from what I am understanding, from what you just said, is it doesn't have to be that way, at least not initially. There can be smaller steps to lead up to the bigger picture of health. And you're 100% right, Erin. Sometimes it's just slowing down. I say that, you know, the journey of aging and decay is like, we start out in our youth as grapes. Think of a grape. It's all like taut. Everything's skin is all stretched. It's like nice and juicy. And then we end up as raisins, wrinkled and dry. And it's that loss of essential fluids. It's that combustion, the fuel, the essential fuel we carry within us that is kind of lost. In today's day and age, it doesn't happen from stagnation as it used to in the past. But today it happens from excessive action, from wanting to do too much too soon all out there. When we're actually on, you know, on, there's a kind of, all our muscles are stressed. Everything has gone upwards. We don't realize it. How many people forget to breathe when they're eating? Because they're eating. That exhale, the repair is in the exhale. The repair is in the rest, in between action. So people try to do too much too soon. Sometimes just eliminating that kind of slows down that aging, kind of brings you back into place. And that is something that I have learned in my life. And it's changed everything for me. And that's really what, like when people come to me, they think they'll be doing a lot of work. They're doing less work. They're feeling more loving towards themselves. Everything is much more easier. If it stops your flow, it's going to create disease begins when slow ends. Yeah. This is exactly what I would like to hear because I do think (laughs) that adding one more, one more element to your routine, it's overwhelming in itself. And if I have to hear one more time and not to, I won't mention any names, but I'm sure our listeners can figure out who I'm talking about, or at least the group I'm talking about. If I have to hear one more time about daily routines that include brushing yourself and, you know, taking a million different supplements or carving out this time to light candles or like, fine, if that works for you. But I don't think most people have the time or the finances or the mental capacity to do all that right now. And so then all of a sudden, the wellness journey becomes stressful because you're thinking, I have to do all these things in order to be well or to feel okay. Agreed. It should be effortless. Your body was designed to thrive, not be punished all the time. And some of the three false beliefs that we try to get people right off the bat, I'm curious if you're taking this. First thing I tell them is it's not your fault. The chemicals, they can't even drink the rainwater. By the time we're born, we're exposed to 250 chemicals. If you're experiencing disruption, most of this is just through absorption of this incredible, awful environment. And you see that when you come from the West, you see my friends from India that all of a sudden said, I can't wait to get here. And within six months, they did 30 pounds overweight. So the first thing I tell people is it's not your fault. Second thing I tell them is, it doesn't have to be hard to work. We've been conditioned that what's got to be hard. That's why Nike says, just do it because it's got to be hard. And then the last thing is, is that everybody is so focused on what you said is the, the small indicators like, well, if you have enough vitamin D or you take a walk, or your meditation, they have all these little tools, but they're not taking the language. And what you're saying to me is really resonating. It's like, I always say about a paradigm shift, but I'm not really talking about the way that you're talking about it. I'm giving one little anecdote, like, hey, you got to stop thinking that way. But what you're doing is teaching a language of relationship between all of these different things. 
And once their body gets that, they absorb things differently, which means they act differently. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but first of all, this is one of my favorite podcasts so far because it's really helped me. On all the other ones, I knew way more than the other people, so it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) How does modesty fit into the wellness picture? (laughs) Is that a question? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay. If that really is a question, I think one of the first things that was taught to me when I started studying Ayurveda. Look, it's not a lucrative field. It has become today, that's a different story. When you choose Ayurveda, you're choosing it because you're actually called to choose it. You're called upon, like it's something. So it's coming through you. It's like you feel like you're a messenger. I think the reminder, I tell my mom this, that I said, mom, I remind myself every day, like, because, you know, moms are very good at pumping up their children. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, you know, like it's through me. It's not from me. And like, literally, I think when I meditate, sometimes I just have to remind myself that this is energy coming through my heart and it's healing me in the process and it's being passed on. And the more I open my heart and I'm easy, the more it will happen. And it sounds all cheesy and like hard to believe, but it is 100% you can experience this. And I feel like it's very important. I think the minute again, like I've done something comes into play again, it's, it's hard, right? And Dr. Farrell, what you said is my mantra, right? It doesn't have to be hard. If it's hard, it's creating density and density causes disease. And you don't want any density in your life. You just want everything to flow. So I'm with you. So how do you measure someone's progress? I tried to use that word carefully because I don't want to say success because I think success looks different for everybody. And I also think that to your point, when you said you do this because it's something that's speaking to you and it's something obviously that you're passionate about, you're not necessarily getting a reward on the other end that Western civilization sees as a reward. So like, how do you measure somebody's progress? And what do you do after that six months? Like, how does that work? So, of course, the first progress, right? So this progress measured on many, many fronts. A is, have you been able to actually fall into a place where you feel comfortable doing, making the choices that you've made? That's the first thing that you feel actually for the first time comfortable that I'd say no to this and I say yes to this. And it comes from a place of love. But in terms of more practical shifts, of course, the symptoms that they're experiencing, you want them to see getting better and that's obvious. But within three to four weeks, you know, at the most basic level that I'd like to see that I know body is getting back into equilibrium for people is if they're having regular bowel movements, which means every day, preferably in the AM, that they're sleeping better for women, usually that their periods are better, their skin is cleared up. And they're more like one of the things that I love hearing in session three, four, five is that they say that they had the same life situation, but had a different experience. Either it could be that something was really difficult, but I dealt with it differently, or I ate something which my body said no to. So their bodies and minds are saying yes to more things. And these are the usual four or five things that I will see happen. But it only happens when that mindset shift has been made, when that loving shift that I choose what I say yes and no to, and I know the place that it's coming from. And I would say to me, that is a measure of success because what you've done then essentially eventually is developed a lens of choices. You have your own lens. This is the example that I use and I must use it right now, right? I mean, think of going, walking into a noisy mall, okay? with like a hundred and like thousand vendors and everybody's trying to sell you something, buy this, buy that, buy that. It's so overwhelming. And that's what our health marketplace is like today. What the experience that I want to shift for people is saying, 
you know that you're going into the mall, for example, you know the occasion that you're shopping for, you know the size, you know exactly what you want, the weather, etc. Let's narrow it down to a pair of white pants, size 4. Now you walk into the same mall, you already know what you're saying no to. You already know what you're looking for. And it's only changed by, because you know who you are and what is your need at this moment. And that is the shift making. The shift brings about all these changes. That's pretty fascinating. Agreed. Do you know why people that choose this profession that, you know, you say, hey, well, the West, it's, you know, it's not the most lucrative profession in the world. And we know because it's not a scalable item because you're, if you're truly going to connect with humans and give this force one-on-one, even if it's over the internet, it's not as scalable. That's fine. Because of what you said earlier is your goal is to take this and pass it along. The idea of getting compensated for that brings you into conflict with yourself. So it's very difficult for practitioners. Like I've helped, I don't know, 150,000 people. And if I could keep lowering the cost to nothing, I would, because that's basically what I've done. I get all these gurus coming to me. Why aren't you charging 3,000? And they shifted my mind a little bit, said, hey, the value is there. So obviously the value you're bringing is there, right? And so sometimes we have to find the way where we're still making sure we're getting compensated emotionally. That's all day long, but there still needs to be a needs met. And so I encourage these practitioners like, Yes, we want to give, but you're giving something that's so unique that sometimes don't forget about taking care of your, your needs in the process. No, absolutely. I am a big believer of it. And that being said, yes, more and more people are open to Ayurveda. But when I started, nobody, there was nobody, forget anything, like there was nobody saying yes to it. But we're lucky. I'm lucky that we're in a place where there's a lot more people saying yes to it. But Ayurveda actually teaches you that. Like this little textbook of mine, which is one of the ancient textbooks, it has a chapter on how the practitioner should look after himself emotionally, financially, physically before you can give it to others. So, Agreed. yes, I'm a big believer that you, you create value, you, you, know, you deliver it, you get what you deserve in return to keep it going. Right, because otherwise it falls apart, right? It is a, a very unkind thing, but once you get kind to yourself, you, you know, you're teaching people, hey, you need to be kind to yourself. You're not doing it for yourself, right? Very true. Very, very true. I have a question. And it's, it's two parts. Because of the world we live in, I want to ask this question and of where we are, because we've come so, like, I just feel like we're just all on the edge of a cliff, right? Like medically and wellness-wise. Second reason I'm asking this is because you have background in this area. But as far as medicine is concerned, and when I talk about medicine, I talk about Western medicine and pharmaceuticals. Do you ever feel, like, in your practice, Do you feel that there is a point where, yes, you do need a medication. However, it doesn't mean that the medication is going to be the only part of the process. Like you have to integrate the other parts of this practice in order to optimize what the medication is doing to heal. And the answer is absolutely yes. And I I can think of two scenarios where that would happen, right? When compliance is so difficult for various reasons, trauma, blockages, limiting beliefs, that compliance is so difficult or the understanding is so difficult, the person is at so much physical dis-ease that they need to just come to ease quickly, go for it for now. And then if you can make shifts and changes and get there, no problem. I'm very practical about that, that, you know, just really do honor, honor your ease and how you can get there. But the second case situation is this, right? Look, if you look at the Vedas, where the science comes from, the prescription was life was that you go full force into the world and all things worldly till about 
whatever, 50s, 60s. And then you kind of have more from the 60s to your 80s. You had more of a community life, a community exchange. And then from 80s, you work on your spiritual enlightenment. That format has changed. We're 70, 80, and we still want to be in the game. And, you know, for example, I'm going to talk about my own dad, right? Like my own dad, he's 70 plus. And, you know, he's had some numbers a little off recently. His body right now, it's in its aging process. Look, it's biologically, it's not from 20 to 35 when you're blooming. After your 70s, there's a gradual decline. There's a gradual depreciation. And he wants to hold on to like his dear body. And he wants to get a lot of things in the world done. I tell him, I said, dad, balance between the diet and the herbs and take a little bit of medication if you want to. Because right now with limited energy and strength, and there's so much desire to do so much more, improving the quality of your life is the most important thing. So I, depending on case by case situation, I think a practical approach does make sense at times. I also value the whole Western world for its diagnostics. I think it's tremendous for all the ability to do blood tests, to look at things. It's done a remarkable job. So yes, I don't want to completely condemn or hate it. Yeah, because imagine, imagine if we all learned this early, we all learned how to look at these labels, look at the stuff we're putting on our skin, really be aware of all the chemical interference so that we showed up differently when the psychological interference showed up. And then we took all of that unnecessary money that's being spent on unnecessary medications, typically for blood pressure, this new weight loss drug, all these things that really could have been prevented to begin with, with this mindset, and then focus that attention on the diagnostics and things that, hey, when it's out of the human control, when the environments have done too much to this human, that they need this step up in medicine. Wow, how much further we would have been. But we're spending so much time on preventable stuff because that's where the money is because it's affecting most amount of people. And then these specialty things get kind of tossed to the wayside. So to your point, I value Western medicine because if something happened, God forbid, I get in a car accident, I need them to keep me alive. But where it's gone to the other way is we have so many people that, do you know that they don't even realize they can come off hypertensive medication? I had a medical doctor within three weeks. He's like, my blood pressure is low. What do I do? I'm like, doc, you might want to take your medicine down. And they, they a lot of times they don't even believe that way. I think Ayurvedic medicine is at the perfect time to come in and it's ripe for corruption is Ayurvedic medicine. And even when I was a chiropractor, it was always, well, what pill can we sell them? Oh, you're saying everybody needs this type of oil and this? Great. This is Ayurvedic practitioner. Take this one thing. We have to fight against that and realize that this is a, a nomenclature and an understanding first. The other little tools of herbs are, are secondary and they're never going to work if you don't make the paradigm shift. 100%. I'm so with you. We basically need to start understanding our body as a whole. And if you need an emergency button once in a while, you press it. But after we've understood our bodies as a whole system, rather than just fixing little parts and then falling apart one fine day. How would you differentiate what you're doing for your patients and your clients to functional medicine? So from what I've understood of functional medicine, again, it's a lot of parts. It's a lot of like, take this for this health and take that for this health. I mean, honestly, the whole goal of Ayurvedic medicine, the way I practice it, is to bring your body to such an optimum landscape. And we can talk about that. I mean, that's one of the things that I really work on. I call it the ideal inner climate, is that anything you take will be synthesized and your body will extract the maximum nutrients, not by loading yourself with nutrients, 
but by creating an environment where every seed you sow can sprout into what you want it to sprout. And when we think about this as a farm, we know it's the state of the land. It's not what seeds, I'm going to sow this seed, I'm going to sow that seed, and I'm going to get all these. No, it is what are the conditions in that landscape that is going to determine my harvest. And really the focus is on that. I agree. When functional medicine started coming up, I used to have 30 clinics and some of the doctors started practicing it. And I said, you're giving more diagnostics and you're just changing the bottle from an orange bottle, which was medication to a new bottle that says this, but the landscape, the cheek to cheek nutrition has never really changed. And so to your point, the soil wasn't there. So here's what I would like to do, because we got to be cognizant of your time and I appreciate it. I want to work with you. And this is, I'm putting you on the spot. I want to find a way to bring what you're doing we enroll about two to 5,000 people a month from all across the country doing this, that I'd like to find a way to expose them to your practice and the course, obviously for a lot of people. So my question is, can we do this in large groups? Does it have to be one-on-one? Can we do it in large groups is question number one. Absolutely. So, you know, there are some basic shifts and I say there are small shifts which bring great impact and we can work with large group to bring those small shifts and understand the the music of the universe and the body, and then to kind of create that rhythm. And the shifts that I tell people are within three weeks. And I see that that's, I've just found that to be the magic number for most people, I'd say, unless you have a really strong pre-existing condition. The bowel movements, the sleep, the periods, you just feel much better about who you are and your choices become easy. They're not, they're not full of rigor, but it's full of vigor is what I say, you know. Perfectly said. Well, we could talk to you all day long. You've been an amazing guest. We thank you for your time. We'd like to have you come back and I will reach out to you about how we can get more of you to more people because this has been amazing. So we thank you so much. Erin, any last words? I just think what you're saying makes so much sense. And I don't feel, after speaking with you, I feel less pressure if I were to talk to you one-on-one than more pressure. And that in itself, I feel for me and my personality is what I need. Not to make this all about me, but if you ask. <laughs> no, no, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your openness. And not everybody wants to hear this. We are so about what more can I control? And I'm I like, there don't need to, you know? So I, I appreciate both of you for opening your minds and, and giving this a fair chance. Well, you're amazing. My crush continues. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Better Podcast brought to you by BetterHealth.com. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to this feed and whatever podcast app you're using right now. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Dr. Bill Farrell. Thank you, Aaron O'Hearn, as usual, for being part of The Better Podcast. And everybody have an amazing, easy day. Put some ease back in your life. Hey there, listeners. Did you know we not only have an award-winning podcast, but we have an amazing blog to go with it? If you go over to BETRHealth.com and click on the blog button, you'll have access to recipes, member stories, food is medicine tips, and so much more. That's BETRHealth.com slash blog.